If you believe God is really as great as we just sang about, you can do better than that. Let's thank the Lord for his goodness. Yes. Show it. Bring it. I uh, don't know if it was just me, but I, I really got lost in that time of worship. I just thank you guys. That was anointed. That was, I, I just feel the presence of God. I just, I was, I was lost. Uh, when you're in his presence, there's just such a peace and there's a joy. Amen? And, uh, and a love. It's his greatness. Okay, we're in the series. Oh, I'm Greg uh, Boyd, teaching pastor here, visiting. And um, we're in this series uh, that we're looking at things that uh, sometimes form obstacles to people coming to Christ, coming to church or whatever. Uh, and to this morning, we're going to talk about a big one. This is, this is not the number one obstacle. It's right up there. Uh, it has to do with the perception of Christians, in particular evangelical Christians, as being arrogant, intolerant, and judgmental. Of course, we all know there's absolutely no truth in that perception, but it's, it's, we have some work to do in our PR department. No, sadly, there is a lot of truth in that, in, in that perception, and I, I want to address that. I'll start with this. Some of you know that uh, in uh, the late 80s, or uh, late 90s, 97, 98, I got embroiled in a little bit of a controversy. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Uh, it was an interesting two years. Uh, it, it was based on this that I hold, for biblical reasons and for some philosophical reasons, that uh, since human beings and angels are created free, um, that possibilities are real. There you go. Possibilities are real. Because we could possibly do this or possibly do that. That's what's real and that's what God knows. Uh, that, that enraged some people. Uh, some people thought it was absolute heresy. So for two years straight, um, the Evangelical Theological Society, which is kind of a think tank for the evangelicals, uh, they, they tried to get all folks who held this opinion, this kind of open view of the future, sometimes called, uh, tried to get us kicked out of their, their group. Uh, and it didn't work, but they tried. And then for those same two years, there was a bunch of pastors who were trying to get me fired from Bethel College where I was teaching full time. Uh, and that also didn't work, but uh, they, they, they tried. And during those same two years, there was a bunch of folks who were trying to get uh, Woodland Hills kicked out of uh, the Baptist General Conference, it was called, um, and no one at Woodland Hills cared. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we'll give you that one. Uh, <laughs> but it was an interesting time. And in the middle of this, this, this uh, tumultuous, tumultuous this time, busy time, uh, while I was at the Evangelical Theological Society, this guy approached me, and I could see from a distance that he was spitting blood. I mean, he, this was not going to be a, a, a nice, pleasant exchange of pleasantries. Uh, he, he had, his eyes were bugging out, and he walked up to me, a real big guy, and got real close to my, he invaded my space, and pointed his finger up my, up my nose, and he says, with this real religious voice, uh, Mr. Boyd, I want to know, what spirit drove you to assail my God? God. <laughs> what motivated you to undermine my God's sovereignty? And his glory. And as I'm looking into his eyes, I'm seeing pure hatred. And I understood something that I'd never understood before. I'd always been mystified as to how Christians from the 5th century on uh, would put people to death for disagreeing with them. They'd, they'd marred them, sometimes in very cruel, vicious, terrible ways. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people were massacred in Jesus' name. And I, that always baffled me. In the name of the one who told us to love our enemies... They, they cut off people's heads or burn them alive or whatever. But as I'm looking into those eyes, I could see the explanation for that. 
In fact, the only response I gave to him is I, I stepped, took two steps back, kind of smiling, and I, I said, you would kill me right now if, you, if it was legal, wouldn't you? you wouldn't you? And he didn't deny it. <laughs> he just kept on staring at me. Ooh. Well, see, here's the thing. When a person holds, it's fine to hold beliefs that you believe are important. But when your worth and significance, your identity, your security is wrapped up in that, what makes you special is that you're right. At that point, you've got an idol. It's virtually a god. And we will do anything that we need to. Um, but people generally do anything necessary to protect that god and to squelch anyone who threatens it, including killing somebody. And then groups rally around beliefs that they hold in idolatrous ways. The groups tend to intensify them because people re reinforce one another. Yeah, we're right, we're right, we're right. And, and when groups hold beliefs in idolatrous ways, they develop an us-them mentality. Uh, we are the ones who are righteous and right, as opposed to all those who are wrong and unrighteous. And groups will do anything necessary to protect their idolatrous beliefs and to uh, squelch anything or anyone that threatens them. And this, in fact, is why there's so much violence in the world. It, throughout history, you peel back any, any action of violence, any, any group against a, a, another group, you will find that this is what's going on. There's an us-them, an idolatrously based us-them mindset that is bringing these, these groups into conflict with one another. Our nation is the right and the righteous one, not yours. Our religion is the right and the righteous one. Our political ideas are the right and righteous ideas. Our causes are the right and righteous. Yours are not. And, and when groups who are holding these beliefs in idolatrous ways clash with one another, well, hostility and sometimes violence breaks out. A classic example of this is what's going on right now in, in America with our political squabbles. It's, it's, it, isn't it? You gotta admit it's a little entertaining. Uh, if not, sometimes a little scary, but yeah, see, you, you see the, the groups, uh, you know, having these rallies, that's fine. And, and some are just like, they're, they're not holding it in idolatrous ways, they're just excited or whatever. But some of them have drank the Kool-Aid. And, and, and they're, 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 they're this, this is the right person, and we have the right beliefs, and we care more than those other people who have the wrong ideas, and, have, 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 and they don't care as much as us. And the more intensely they hold to beliefs in idolatrous ways, the stronger their opposition to other groups become, the more defensive they become, and the more they're willing to do anything to protect those beliefs and squash any who, who oppose them. And the, ultimately, the us-them idolatrous mindset leads people to demonize others. They're not just people who disagree with us. They're evil. <laughs> they're, you know, they, 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 don't, they say they care, but they really don't care. They're just trying to manipulate you, and, and it gets nasty, and sometimes violence breaks out, and we've seen some of that just go around, haven't we? So it, it's crazy time. Now, that, it's not surprising that the world does that. The world's always done that. But what is unfortunate and really sad is that Christians have succumbed to that, bought into this us-them game. In fact, Christians have done this, at least many Christians have done this throughout history. That's why there's been so much bloodshed in church history. Uh, it's, it's killing another is the ultimate expression of the uh, us-them idolatrous mindset. Uh, so the bloodshed is a reflection of this us-them mindset. The, the uh, Cultural and political wars that Christians get sucked into, that's an expression of the us-them mindset. Uh, it's it's uh, all over the place. And so the, the, the more folks hold to their beliefs in idolatrous ways, with that, this is what makes them special. We are the right group, yay us. The more they hold that, the stronger their opposition to others gets. And uh, it is to a large degree why, kind of polls have shown this, why 
Christians are generally perceived as being arrogant, intolerant, and judgmental. Because they have this us then mindset. They play that out in public. Um, there's a book that was written by David Kinneman and Guy, uh, what was it, G Gabe Lyons, Unchristian. And they, they pulled together a lot of this research, and some of it's just really fascinating and quite discouraging. Uh, for example, especially among young people, uh, ages 16 to 29, 90% of them agreed that Christians, especially evangelical Christians, are arrogant, intolerant, and judgmental. And that perception goes down a little bit with each aging demographic, but even when you get to the 60s and 70s, it's still pretty bad. And it's because it is to a large degree true. It is why many people, and it may be the number one reason why a lot of folks don't want anything to do with the church. Those arrogant, intolerant, judgmental Christians. Just, here, here's the irony of this, that Jesus still rates pretty high on opinion polls. Christians are way towards the bottom. What's wrong with this picture? We're called to live like him. Uh, and, and the demonic irony is that the church was to be the means by which uh, the, the, the world falls in love with Jesus, the, the means by which people come to Jesus. Uh, as we put on display his character, it was supposed to draw people to Jesus. So the irony is that the, the very thing that was supposed to draw people to Jesus has become the main obstacle to people coming to Jesus. It is so, so, so wrong. So what I want to do here this morning is just uh, point out three things uh, that really show how wrong this is and, 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 and to kind of outline the way Christians ought to live and the kind of reputation we ought to have. Three things. Number one, if we understand the cross rightly, uh, it abolishes all us them thinking. Now this first point is going to take a little bit of unpacking, and it's, it's sort of theologically dense. Uh, I, I gave a whole message on it a couple months ago at the beginning of our evangelism series. If you weren't here, prepare to think, because you probably haven't heard this before, but it's really important uh, foundational stuff. So prepare to think. And even if you were here for that message, prepare to think, because it's the kind of thing, uh, because it's, it's probably going to be new to a lot of folks, uh, it, it, it takes more than one go-around to really get your head around it, all right? Here, here's the passage. Paul is in the process of explaining why he gave up the good life to spend his life evangelizing folks and going through all this hardship. Why, what, what, people thought he was crazy. And so Paul says this. It's because the love of Christ compels us. The love he got from Christ and the love he has for people because of Christ, the love of Christ compels us. And here's why. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded even Christ this way, we don't do so any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The Greek has a connotation of, of look, the new creation has come. Behold. The old is gone, the new is here. So Paul is saying that the love of Christ compels them because if, if one died for all, if Jesus died for all, then all have died. And what he's saying there is, is just this. When Jesus died 2,000 years ago, it changed the world for everyone completely. When Jesus died 2,000 years ago, uh, and in some sense, all human beings died. The, 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 the self of every person that was in opposition to God died. When Jesus died 2,000 years ago, uh, the problem of sin that separated us from God was taken care of. It was abolished. In fact, when Jesus died 2,000 years ago, everything about everybody that was an obstacle to them being in relationship with God was destroyed. Uh, the, everything that alienated the entire creation from God 
was abolished on the cross. That's why Paul says there's a new creation. There's a new creation. All things are new. Everything for everybody is made new because of the death of Jesus Christ. And, and this is how we're to see the world. See, this is why Paul says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sin against them. It's because of the cross that the sin problem has been taken care of. And the beautiful thing is that he's given to us this message of reconciliation. And the message of reconciliation is God is not holding your sin against you. That's the good news that we get to proclaim. Now, we're to look at everybody in light of this new creation. Paul says, uh, we no longer look at people, at the world, from a worldly point of view. The worldly point of view is simply the natural, ordinary point of view. It's the way the world looks at things. It's looking at the world and looking at people in the world as though the world didn't completely change 2,000 years ago. It's looking at people uh, as though what you see is what you get. You just notice what you notice. Paul says, no, we're not going to look at anyone. Though we once even looked at Christ that way, now we see the rest of the story. Now we see what's really going on, and we look at everybody in light of what happened 2,000 years ago. We look at everybody in light of this new creation that's been created in Christ Jesus. And so we're not to then look at folks and assess and evaluate them based on their sin. That's old creation thinking. That's, that's the old is gone. And we're not to be assessing people or evaluating people based on their race or based on their gender or based on their political orientation or their sexual orientation or their religious orientation or their economic status or their educational level or anything. That's old creation thinking. We are to look at folks. Every individual we see, we're to see in light of the new creation. We're to see every individual as one for whom Jesus died. Every individual as one whom God loves. Every individual as one whom God has claimed for himself, already claimed for himself. We're looking at, at every individual as, as one for whom our, every obstacle between them and God has been removed. And if we look at people that way, it completely destroys the us-them category. Completely does it away. Uh, there is no us-them anymore. We're looking at everybody as claimed by Christ. They are all encompassed by what God did for them. Uh, everything that people could ever rely on and make an idol of to create an us-them category has been rendered null and void on the cross. Praise God. Uh, this is why Paul says that in Christ there's neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither free nor slave. Now, of course, there still are male and female, Jew and Gentile. But see, in Christ, we don't invest any significance in that whatsoever. Because the only thing that matters is that Christ has created one new humanity. So Paul says in Ephesians 2, uh, he says that on the cross, God removed every dividing wall. And now, there's, there still are differences, but they're no longer walls because in Christ, we don't invest any significance in those distinctions. And so Christ, he says, has created one new humanity, praise God. There's a new human race that was created when Jesus died 2,000 years ago. He changed everything about everyone, hallelujah. And everyone's included in this. Now, people can opt out of it if they want. They can decline the offer. That's up to them. People are still free. But from God's perspective, he's got a bear hug around every human being. And when we look at people, we are to see them in that light. As claimed by God, loved by God, forgiven by God. You could say it like this. The cross created a new us without a them. There is an us. It's an us that, that rallies around the God revealed on the cross. So there is an us. We celebrate that. But because we're to look at everybody in light of the cross, as claimed by the cross, loved by God in a cross-like way, because we look at people that way, there is no them. We don't, we're for, but we're not against anything. No, we're claiming them. <laughs> you know, the, 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 our message to them is that they're included in this. So there's an us, but it has no them, which means there is no place for a Jesus follower to ever think 
to kind of rally around this, this mindset of we are the right and the righteous as opposed to those who are wrong and unrighteous. It's completely old creation kind of thinking. Now, of course, there's still differences of beliefs. Yeah, we, we believe different than a lot of people. But, but, see, we don't get our life from that. We get, our, we get our life from Christ alone, not what we believe about Christ or anything. So, yeah, there's differences of beliefs, and it's okay to note those. Uh, but we don't, we don't allow them to polarize us with anybody. And when we look at folks, we don't look at them in terms of and through the categories of our different beliefs. We look at them in light of what we know has been done for them in Jesus Christ. Behold, the new creation has come. And so there's an us without a them. The, the cross abolishes all us, them thinking. What the, what the cross does is it levels the playing field completely. Everybody, every human being is in the same boat. We all were, were, were alienated from God. Our, all of, we had sin blocking our, our access to God, and all of us have been forgiven. We're just a bunch of loved, forgiven sinners. Uh, who, who, uh, and we're all in the same boat on this. Now, the only difference is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you know this, and others don't. But see, far from making us feel superior about that, I know that we're forgiven. No, it, 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 there's no claim of superiority in that. In fact, what it does is it just means that we have the opportunity and the privilege and the responsibility of being able to tell folks the truth. Hey, hey buddy, did you know that God's not holding your sin against you? Uh, believe that. Can you believe that? Literally, can you please believe that? It's very important. But, so we're servants of the world, and part of the way we serve the world is by bringing them this good news, but there's no claim to superiority. And so if we understand the new creation and, and, and are looking at the world in light of the new creation, the last thing we would ever be known for is being arrogant, intolerant, and judgmental. The last thing we would ever be doing is carrying out another religious version of this idolatrous us-them game that's behind all the violence of the world. Because in Christ... The us-them categories have been abolished. Praise God. So that's point number one. Chew on that. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. All right. Uh, number two. We are to cultivate the mindset, the humble mindset of Christ. This gets right to the point. This decapitates all arrogance, intolerance, and judgmentalism. L listen to what Paul says. Philippians 2. Powerful, powerful passage. In your relationships, he says, uh, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. The word, Greek word there, kenosis, means he emptied himself. He poured himself out completely for us. And did that by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Have that mindset. Uh, grasp what this mindset is. Jesus is existing as God in his bliss and glory. But he didn't cling to that. He could have, but he didn't. Uh, for our sake, he... Set aside those advantages. He emptied himself of all the advantages that go along with being God. And then he became a human being. Not just a human being, but he became a servant of humanity. He came, entered into solidarity with us to serve us. God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, became a servant of humanity. And he did this while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies of God. And you can know that we were enemies of God because we crucified him when he came. And he was willing to do that too. He humbled himself and became obedient, even, even obedient to the point of death, death on the cross. Have that mindset. 
Be willing to do that. Now, here's the thing. We can't possibly have that mindset. We, we can't come close to that because however much you are willing to set aside your advantages for someone else, however much they don't deserve it, but you're going to do it anyways, however much you're willing to humble yourself and become a servant, whatever you forsake to do that, whatever you sacrifice to do that, it's nothing compared to what Christ did for our, for our sakes. You'll never be God becoming a human being. You'll never cross that distance. Uh, we can't do a fraction of this, but that's kind of Paul's point. Paul is saying, look, if God was willing to set aside his advantages to become a servant of humanity while we were yet sinners and die for us on the cross, how much more should we be willing to set aside our advantages and become servants of others even to the point of death, dying for them? If, if, if that's what God is willing to do, how could we do anything less than that? You can think of it like this. Uh, the Trinity, didn't, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they didn't play an us-them game with us. They could have. And they would have been on the right. Uh, God could have come down here in some form or other and said, hey, look at here. Triune God, we are, we are holy and you are not. We are wise and you are not. We are righteous and you are not. Uh, therefore, do things our way or literally go to hell. Could have, could, have, could have been there. Us, them. We are righteous and you are not. Instead, God humbled himself and entered into solidarity with everyone to become a servant of everyone. And if God was willing to do that, if God, if God was willing to set aside the us-them game for us, how, how, how can we not uh, even more inclined to set aside us-them thinking for the sake of others? And if God was willing to be, humble himself and serve us, how could we not be willing to humble ourselves and serve others? If, God, if, if, if when God came down, he didn't make a claim to being holier than us and wiser than us, though he certainly was, if God didn't do that, how could we ever think that we are ever going to be in a position where we can think we are wiser than anybody or holier than anybody. No, if, if, if God entered into solidarity with everyone to serve everyone, how much more must we be willing to set aside advantages to enter into solidarity with everyone and anyone um, and, 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 and to serve them? And I submit to you, you see, our, our one calling is to replicate the love and the humility that was revealed in Jesus Christ by serving folks 24-7, regardless of whether we like them or not, do we agree with their taste or not, we're to serve them regardless of whether they're for us or against us, they're a friend or a foe, they oppose us or they're on our side. doesn't matter, no if, ands, or buts, we're called to replicate the humility and the love of Jesus, which we can never replicate. We can never get a fraction of it, but this is our calling, is to be as much like that as possible. And I submit to you that if, 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 if a fraction of Christians did that, we would never be known as being arrogant, intolerant, and judgmental. Because that is the opposite of the humble mindset that we are called to embrace. Here, here's something that I, I just be honest with you, I, I don't get. Um, it, there is, in, in several states, Christians who are, they're, they're trying to pass laws to have the right, to have their businesses not serve gay people. Um, they, they don't want to make wedding cakes for gay couples. They don't want to uh, sell wedding apparel to gay couples. They don't want to uh, give marriage license to gay couples. And they don't want to open up their bed and breakfast for gay couples. And they're fighting for the right for this. Um, they don't want to serve this group. Now, I, I just can't, I'll be honest with you, I can't see the mindset of Christ in that. Uh, I, 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 it, it, it's beyond me how, how people who are... Jesus' followers could be fighting for the right not to serve someone when God served us. Uh, now, the pushback I get 
but last time I mentioned this, I got quite a bit of pushback, and I'll probably get it again. But it's like, well, look, we have a right not to appear to condone the behavior that we don't agree with. We have a right. So we're fighting for our rights. I'm so glad Jesus didn't fight for his rights. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's... If Jesus, had, if Jesus had fought for that right, he never could have been known... He never would have caused a scandal among the religious muckety-mucks for hanging out with prostitutes, going to parties with the tax collectors and other kind of sinners. And yeah, it ruined his reputation. He was known, we see this in the Gospels, as being a drunkard and hanging out with the wrong people. Birds of a feather flock together, yada, yada, yada. But see, here's the mindset of Christ. Loving people is always more important than your own reputation. Uh, and, and so he was willing to get his reputation trashed in order to love people. You see, and uh, if that, that's the mindset of Christ. And, and uh, the ones who, who put reputation in front of loving people were the Pharisees. They wouldn't come near these folks. Oh, I don't want to be associated with the likes of those. And Jesus rebuked them for it. No, you see, if, if God was willing, you talk about getting your, your reputation tarnished. God, the all-holy God, was willing to become a human being and then to go on the cross and bear the sin of the world, enter into solidarity with the sin of the world. He looks like a, a, a God-forsaken criminal on Calvary, but he was willing to do that. <laughs> Enter into complete solidarity with us and our sin out of love for us. That's the mindset of Christ, folks. To serve all people at all times, no ifs, ands, or buts. And to consider it a privilege to do so. Our calling, Paul says, is to live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. Um, and and uh, we're going to do that 24-7. And so there's no off button on this. So have the mindset of Christ. Have the mindset of Christ. If he was willing to do that for us, how can we not do the same for all others? And that leads to a third point, and it's really kind of implicit already in what has been uh, in the first two points, but it's worth making explicit, that, that uh, Christ abolishes all judgments. Now, he, uh, let me explain what a judgment is as opposed to a discernment. There's, there's judgments and there's discernments. A discernment is where you distinguish between things, and we all have to do that. Uh, this is healthy, this is not. You know, this, uh, this is safe, this is not safe. Uh, I would trust this person to babysit my children. I wouldn't trust that person. And, and we, we make these distinctions, and we need to make those kind of distinctions. That's fine. But a judgment is not when we distinguish things. It's when we distinguish people. More specifically, it's when we distinguish ourselves, separate ourselves from another, and put ourselves above another. And we look down at them critically. And it presupposes our own superiority to them. And the world is filled with these kind of judgments. Our brains are filled. It's one of the fundamental features of the fallen world. It's why the world is such a mess. Um, I, I can almost guarantee you that if you have not been one of those who have been very disciplined about trying to bring every thought captive to Christ, and that if you haven't been intentional about becoming a disciple of your own mind, I can almost guarantee you that your, your brain evaluates and assesses and critiques people all day long. It does it automatically. And it's a foundational aspect of this fallen world. Um, it is, in fact, we tend to think lightly of that. When we gossip about people in our brain, oh, that's, you know, it's kind of a little thing, our little imperfection. But as a matter of fact, it's a foundational sin, the foundational sin of the Bible. I talk about this in my book, Repenting of Religion. It is eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the thing that got us all messed up in the first place, and it's still the thing that keeps us messed up. We think that we are God and can discern good and evil about other people. And it all presupposes that, that, that we are, are superior to them. Every act of judgment is a matter of cutting someone down to build yourself up. And it's a foundational sin in the Bible because it subverts the foundational command of the Bible, which is to love. See, it, it, judgment and love are antithetical. They're opposites. 
Love is about ascribing worth to another at cost to yourself. Judgments are about ascribing worth to yourself at cost to another. They're absolutely antithetical. Um, we, we tear people down to build ourselves up, and we do it instinctively. Lest you think that I am beyond this, beyond struggling with this, let me share this episode with you. Um, a number of years ago, I was eating in the subway there on White Bear Avenue and Larpenter Avenue, and uh, I was in line, and in front of me was this very large lady. And she ordered a 12-inch sub, and so far as I could see, she put everything that they had to offer on that sub. Every kind of meat, every kind of cheese, and every one of the accessories. But what really blew me away is she put five different dressings on it. I mean, she had a mountain. It wasn't a sub, it was a mountain. And, and she put five different dressings on it. I counted. Uh, barbecue uh, sauce and the vinaigrette and the chipotle thing and the ranch and one other, right? But it, it was honey mustard. It was, it was just like, yuck! That, but I remember thinking in my brain, you're gross. I did. And... Um, now, I've been trying to call, bring every thought captive to Christ and catch myself doing this. And so was, soon after, I realized that I wasn't loving this lady. I was judging this lady. Um, I wasn't ascribing worth to her. I was ascribing worth to myself at cost to her. Because however overweight I am, at least I'm not like that. I wasn't looking at her in terms of a new creation. If I was looking at her in terms of a new creation as one who's loved by God, claimed by God, one for whom all obstacles have been removed, then her size and her eating habits would be completely, completely irrelevant. See, I was making them relevant by, by judging them. It, 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 we do it on autopilot, and every act of judgment blocks the command of love. Paul says we're supposed to be doing this. Live in love as Christ loved us. Imitate God. Live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. Ephesians 5, 2. Um, that, that we're supposed to live in that kind of love. Doing to others what Christ did to us. Ascribing worth to others at cost to ourselves. And see, to live in that means it's got no off button. You don't take vacations from this. You don't get to pick and choose. You live in it. So if you're breathing and have got brain waves, you're, you're supposed to be doing this. And see, if, we, if you're loving people 24-7, every day, every second of every day, you don't have time to judge them. There's no space for that. Because the judgment is the opposite of that. Conversely, to the degree that we find ourselves, whether we're doing it out loud or in the gossip column in our brain, uh, to the degree that we're judging folks, um, we're not living in love. We're not living in love. We're, we're, we're doing the opposite of that. Um, and this is why the New Testament, while it commands us to love, it also forbids us to judge. So, for example, Jesus said, why, don't judge if you don't want to be judged. And why are you looking for, I love this, this the, the, the speck of sawdust in your neighbor's eye uh, while you have a plank sticking out of your own eye. And what Jesus is doing here is brilliant. He's trying to cure us from our, our, our addiction to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he's doing it by reversing it. See, when we judge someone, it, it always ha it's, it's always like this. We minimize our sin and maximize theirs. And we feed off of that. It makes us feel good about ourselves. So we maximize their sin. What Jesus is saying to do here is, no, you minimize whatever sin you think you see in another and maximize your own sin. By a lot. I don't know how many specks of sawdust are in a plank. But I'm imagining there must be a trillion. So whatever sin you think you see in another person, yours is a trillion times worse. Now society may say, oh no, yours is minor. And the church may say, oh no, yours is major. They've got the, yours is minor. They've got the major one. And religious people specialize in that. They feed off of that. But it doesn't matter what the church says. It doesn't matter what the world says. Whatever, whatever sin you think you see in another, it's minor. It's, uh, yours is a trillion times worse. And see, 
Folks, if you adopt that mindset, it simply would not be possible for you to decide that you, don't, you want to have the right not to serve someone because their sin is bigger than yours. Wrong! Yours is a trillion times worse. So you ought to consider it a privilege to serve such honorable people, you miserable sinner. You're a trillion times worse than they are. And if, if a fraction of Christians did this, folks, it'd be impossible to be known as arrogant, intolerant, and judgmental. If we really walk around with, with a mindset that ours is a trillion times worse than anything we see in anybody else, it'd be impossible to be arrogant, intolerant, or judgmental. In fact, if a fraction of Christians did this, I submit to you that, that we'd be known as the most self-effacing, humble servant people on the planet. If unbelievers would say, you know, those Christians, they believe a lot of funny stuff, but you got to give it to them. They, they just love people. They just serve people. They're, they're humble. They never brag. They're never arrogant. They never judge people. They just are happy to serve them. No ifs, ands, or buts. Yeah, they believe a lot of weird things, but gosh, they're, they're, they're really nice people. That would be the reputation. Wouldn't it be nice if, if that was the reputation? And the reality is that's supposed to be the reputation. Because if we live this out, that's what it would be. And I, I can't do a thing about the church at large, but I, I pray that's the reputation that we as a body uh, are cultivating in the community around us. Podrishners, whatever community you're part of, I pray that that's the reputation that you're cultivating in uh, the community that, that you're a part of. This is how we're supposed to be known. Hey, if you're visiting uh, here for the first time or are relatively new here, uh, and, and if church has been an obstacle or the, just, the arrogance and intolerance and judgmentalism of Christians has been an obstacle to you coming to Christ, um, I, I, first of all, I want to just say, uh, as a representative of the church, I apologize. Because uh, we should be doing the opposite. And I hope you can see from this message that I totally, totally agree with you. There's not a thing that you would say about the church that I wouldn't say amen to, uh, in terms of how it generally operates. But I also hope you can see that the kingdom that Jesus inaugurated and birthed with his death and resurrection is completely, 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 100%, a trillion times different than that. It's a humble, it's a humble kingdom that looks like Jesus, serves the world, and um, manifest cross-like love. So, folks, um, here's the thing. We're, we're called, if the cross collapses all us them, th them thinking, we must collapse all us them thinking. Uh, the Bible calls us to cultivate the mindset of Christ, uh, and so we must cultivate the mindset of Christ. Though we can never come close to it, we're to set aside all advantages and serve people, humbly serve people. And we are called to not judge, we're called to love, and the two are absolutely antithetical. I pray that we can be a people who, Take that seriously and look at the world in terms of the new creation that's in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things are new. All obstacles have been removed. See people in that light. And there will be no us-them thinking that goes on. Would you stand? Okay, I, uh, I'd like to call the prayer teams to come up here. And if you're here this morning and have any, any need that could use prayer, um, maybe you're struggling with judgment stuff. That, that'd be a good thing to pray for. But maybe it's a financial thing, a relational thing. A spiritual thing, whatever it is, uh, come up and pray with these folks. If you're here this morning and now would like to be a follower of Jesus, come up and tell these folks that, and they'll help you get started on the walk, uh, walk with Christ. As we leave here, can we do it as a people who are committed to maximizing our own sin, minimizing theirs, and living in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us, manifesting his humility wherever we go. If you agree with that, say amen and get out of here. Amen. God bless you guys. Go serve the world.